The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. your attention this morning to 1st Corinthians chapter 11. 1st Corinthians chapter 11. If you're joining us on Facebook, we appreciate you all. It's good to see you as well. And uh, I just want to say a word before we get started. We're kind of in a topical series right now. Uh, next week, we'll look at some uh, Thanksgiving-related themes about what it means to be thankful as a Christian. But in two weeks, it is hard to believe, two weeks from today, two Sundays, is the first Sunday of Advent. And so we'll be preaching through, starting then, our series through the book of Luke, chapter 2, as we uh, uh, turn our hearts towards the celebration of Christ's birth. So uh, today, I, I specifically, this was not originally scheduled last year when we pick out our topics, but this is a topic, the Lord's Supper, the importance of the Lord's Supper, that we haven't really talked through in a sermon before. We've talked through it at the Lord's Supper, but I thought it would be a great reminder for us, maybe even, maybe the first time for many of you to learn what the Bible says about such things. But there's a lot we don't know. But I love, and I, I, I may have shared this illustration before, but I chuckled myself to, to, out of the seminary the other day with this because it was so good. Because there are some things we know, but a lot of things we only know because of our mothers. Is that correct? Do you believe that? Well, here are some. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. She told me, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning inside. Heard that before? My mother also taught me religion because she said, quote, you better pray that that will come out of the carpet. <laughs> my mother taught me logic because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me lore logic. If you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. That, that makes a follow the logical <laughs> sense there. My mother taught me about stamina. You sit there until all your spinach is gone off your plate, son. My mother taught me about envy. There are millions of people, she would say, of less fortunate condition in this world who don't have wonderful parents like you do in me. My mother taught me anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home, right? So <laughs> some of y'all grew up in this household. Do you know? Come on, guys. My, father my mother, of course, taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me, right? So <laughs> and the last one. My mom taught me good justice because, quote, one day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you, right? So, oh, come on. It's all fun, guys. It's all good. You know, we did learn a lot from our mothers, didn't we? The importance of life and value in things, and I'm being facetious and silly, of course, to start off. But there are a lot of things you would think that from what the old guys used to call the mother of your life in the spiritual sense, the local church, that a topic such as the Lord's Supper would be like our mamas taught us so many things in life. It would be so straightforward, so easy to understand, and so known that a sermon like this wouldn't even be necessary, right? But as I've been around us and I've been around other Christians, the more I've learned this, this is a topic that we really know enough about, but we don't really know a lot about. I don't know if you'd agree with that, because how many of y'all have been doing Lord's Supper for over a long time, Right? Most of y'all have been doing the Lord's Supper for a long time. You've seen it done. You've done it at other churches. And if you're a Christian, you know that this is a very serious thing. But if we're honest with ourselves, unlike perhaps our mothers, we've not done a good job of teaching you about this. 
This is something perhaps as pastors we need to do more of. It's a thing we add on or do, but not a thing we teach through. And so as Acts 20 reminds us that the, the apostles used to do, and Amy will put this up on the screen, they used to, on the first day of the week, it says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples broke bread, they came together to break bread. This was always the practice of the early church was the Lord's Supper. But the bottom line is this, a church that takes the word seriously, that cares for its people seriously, takes the Lord's Supper seriously, and takes prayer seriously, is a church that takes God seriously. Would you agree with that? The Lord's Supper is the victory cry of the church. We are celebrating what Christ has done in the past. We're remembering in the present what he's taught us to do, and we're anticipating the future of what is to come. And we don't turn this Lord's Supper into a funeral service. In fact, we've talked even this morning about singing songs while we do the Lord's Supper because it's a joyous occasion. But we're Baptists, and we have to be reflective, and it's more like a funeral dirge sometimes. And so here is the big idea today. I want you to get clearly from this passage. The Lord's Supper isn't a TV dinner that you enjoy on your own terms. Rather, it's a family reunion. Our brothers already mentioned that that we, God's redeemed children, do by coming together to celebrate the bond we have in Jesus Christ. And the local church is full of all sorts of people, the elderly, MU fans, KU fans, yes, Patsy, even Tennessee Titan fans, sister, I know you're so happy they beat us last week, I know. Singles, widows, widowers of different colors, socioeconomic classes, we have people who come from all different things, but one thing we hold in common is the Lord's Supper. And we do it together to celebrate what he has done. As surely as you can see the bread, as surely as you can remember that God loves you through Christ, and as surely as you chew the food and drink the drink, as so surely Christ has died for you. So five questions this morning, straight out of our text. And I want this to be as simple as possible. If you say, Darren, I got all this stuff, re-engage yourself with this. Here are the five questions. Amy, I'll put these up. Good reporting does the who, what, where, how, and why. We've gotten most of those but here it is. Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? I mean, is, is there anyone we should deny the Lord's Supper to? I mean, come on. I, I mean, Darren, this is the church. You just said everyone's welcome in your pastoral prayer. Surely we'll get there. Where should we have the Lord's Supper? This might ruffle more of your feathers than anything else. When should we have the Lord's Supper? How should we observe the Lord's Supper? And then finally, the base of it all from the passage, why should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? LS there is just Lord's Supper. So this morning, friends, I want to bring to you something that we're going to practice right after we do it. Uh, I, I'm learning as a father that sometimes the things we talk about with kids in the moment aren't always practiced the next second after the second I told them. Do you know what I mean? Well, you get to do that today. So there's going to be a test at the end to see how well we do, but we'll do it to the glory of God. If you're able to stand this morning, we're going to read a very super familiar passage. My son cannot stand because as soon as we started singing, he popped right out. So... Uh, um, nap time becomes very interesting in our house and everyone's napping and he wants to run outside, but that's, that's us. But you got it. You're not falling asleep. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, all the way down to verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Paul writing here to the church at Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, verse 24, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's going to be a verse we'll focus on a little later. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks of the bread, or eats and drinks rather, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Guys, this morning, a topic, if I can just be so blunt, a topic that people spilled their blood for so you could take it properly this morning. A topic that should unite churches but often divides churches. A topic that if you're a parent or a grandparent and your kid or your grandkid comes to know Christ, you need to know what it's about. And a topic as an adult that you need to be reminded of so we don't take it casually but celebratory and happy and serious and all those things. Does that make sense? Can we do that in 30 minutes? We're going to try. John Moody moved halfway up the church, so I think I can do a sermon in 30 minutes. So, brother, you're giving me confidence today. We can do things different around here. So, all right, praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads this morning, will you? And let's pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much. We praise you. We love you. We, we know it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's not in ourselves. It's a work of God. Father, we come today on a very familiar topic, one perhaps too familiar for some and not as familiar with others. Father, help us to learn these questions, to know them, not just as people to have information, but Father, by your spirit, would you speak through these little words I have, but mostly through your word that we all have. Father, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we come to this, again, I, I, I just want to ask these questions very clearly. They're very straightforward questions. If you're taking notes, I hope you can follow along with them. Well, the first question I want to ask, and this one might be on your mind, but who should participate in the Lord's Supper? Who should participate? The Bible tells us, and Amy will just go ahead and put this right up. The Bible is super clear on this, that true Christian believers share in the work of Christ as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Jesus shared the meal in Luke 22 and in Mark 15 with his followers. And every time we see the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, it's always around other believers. I mean, that sounds so obvious, right? But it is. A follower is the key word. Even if you call yourself a Christian, but you're deliberately disobeying Christ in your life, then, then, then and we'll get to this in a minute, but you should, you should basically abstain yourself from the following the Lord's Supper for that week, and we'll get there. But primarily, this is for people who are believers in Christ. This is not for people who are not believers in Jesus Christ. So often parents, and I know this pressure, uh, you know, when that cup passes by, you want to teach Johnny and Susie about the Lord's Supper, so you want them to take it. But friends, if they're not a believer, this is not for them. And if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're exploring Christianity right now, you should not partake of the Lord's Supper again at all. Did you see what verse 27 said? And there's more. We don't have time to unpack this completely, but it said, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and body of, of, of the Lord. That's serious stuff, isn't it? 
So in a few minutes, when, when the followers of Christ are taking the Lord's Supper, we want you, if you're not a believer, or, or, or if, you're, if you're walking in here and you're not sure you're a believer, we want you to see the love of Christ. And let me be clear here. If you're a visitor if you're, or if you're a longtime uh, regular and you don't know Jesus, our goal in restricting who takes the Lord's Supper is not to be inhospitable. Let me be very clear on that. But our aim is to have a celebration of God's love that our eyes may be open. And if you're not a Christian here today, we've been praying for you this week that this message would be super clear as we go through these things. So, so who should partake in the Lord's Supper? It's Christians. In fact, our statement of belief says this, and Amy will put this up, the Baptist Faith and Message, or BFM 2000, says this. This is what we believe as Baptists. This is, very, this is straight off the book. We, we don't believe that, well, here it is. Quote, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby, and if you're an underliner, if you're taking notes, whereby members, did you see that? Members of the church, though partaking of the bread and fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. The reason here is fairly simple, and Paul makes this clear. If, 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 if we are going to be part of the body of Christ, we have to know Christ, and to know Christ it's going to be, as this said, you're going to be a member. Well, what is a member? To be a member of a church, you have to be baptized. So, look, if you're a Christian here today and you profess to know Jesus, but you've never been baptized, can I ask you, what are you waiting on? Seriously, what are you waiting on? Because according to our beliefs, and we take this from numerous scriptures, this Lord's Supper is for those who are in good standing with the local church and have been baptized. Now, look, if we had someone lined up to be baptized, and it's like a week before the baptism and the Lord's Supper come, would we allow them to take it? Yes, absolutely, totally. But if there's someone in our midst who has never been baptized but proclaims to know Jesus and doesn't want to get baptized because, whoa, that's just, I don't want to do that, that person should restrict themselves from who should participate in the Lord's Supper. Too restrictive? It wasn't for Jesus because do you remember what Judas did? Brother Drew, I remember you mentioned this one of the first weeks you were here, one of the sermons we preached. What did Judas happen? What happened to Judas with the Lord's Supper time? He went out the door, didn't he? Judas never partook of the Lord's Supper, only those who knew Jesus truly. And so, friends, as we bring this to the forefront, baptism is an obedience issue. If you're here today and you have professed Christ and you do not know him through baptism. You're not saved through baptism, but it symbolically points to the inward reality of what he's doing. Then by taking the Lord's Supper, that you're desecrating the Lord's Supper, if I can use such terminology. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, while we are living in continual disobedient sin, you're not doing it. But look, if you're here today and you have not been baptized, come talk to us. Let's be real for a minute. Real talk. Hashtag real talk, right? Some people are scared of water. Some people physically don't believe they can get up in the water and all those things. Look, come talk to us. If that's all that's withholding you from being baptized, that's a big important issue, but it's not something that's unsolvable. Does that make sense? So who should participate? It's believers. It's those baptized and in good standing with the local church. So when it comes to the Lord's Supper, this is something we do. Praise God for your obedience and wanting to to, 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 to follow Christ, but praise God for those who fully committed to do those things, okay? So what do we say? The next thing I want to be clear on, and Amy will put this up, is that unbelievers see the work of Christ as they watch the Lord's Supper. 
if you've been around any number of time, you've heard me say this before. If you're, if you're a believer, we're not trying to be awkward. We're like passing these little cups with little pieces of bread that look like you just buy them at the dollar store kind of thing. It looks kind of funny. Like, and then we all drink it in unison. It's like, is this a cult or something? What? But if you're, if you're a Christian, you do this because this is what Christ told you. But if you're not a Christian, we are going to encourage you to stay in the, in the next 25, 30 minutes during our Lord's Supper time. Because then you're going to see people across the stripes, across all the world, coming together to proclaim one voice that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord indeed. And that's the amazing thing. But if you're an unbeliever, some churches will say, if you're an unbeliever, you can just exit. No. Stay with us. Come see what happens. Because you know what? If you're a Christian, this is what you're going to be doing. This is what you're going to do. So who can participate if you're not a believer? And grandparent or parent, let me just say it again. It is so, you want your little Johnny and Susie to partake in the Lord's Supper. Don't do it. Don't do it. Friends, you're leading them down a wrong road if you just let them take the Lord's Supper just because you feel bad if they don't take the Lord's Supper. You're teaching them something that's going to lead them down the wrong path. I hope that's clear. If you've done that as a parent or grandparent, please don't walk out of here depressed. But just know the Scripture says it's for believers and those who are not believers are to sit by and watch what happens. And you know what happens? They ask questions. Mommy, why is there grape juice in that cup? Grandma, why are they eating bread, those little wafer bread? Can I ask them too? I'm really, really hungry. I mean, come on. These things come up. So who should participate? Secondly, I want you to see this. Is that, I hope that's clear. Second is where should we have it? And I, I will confess to you, again, Pastor struggle bus here. Sometimes I debate whether I put things in, but I put this one in. Where should we have it? Did you see what Paul said here? And again, I'm jumping around until verse 5 when we really get in the verses. He said, for I receive to you as often as you eat this bread. Did you see a location anywhere in there? He didn't give a location because their churches were in houses. When, when, when Brother Taylor, intern brother, Pastor Taylor guy over here read the scripture he said that they were meeting the first day of the week. That's when they broke bread. It was in their houses because they had house churches. Now, over the centuries, we've built buildings. We've done those things. But the only biblical requirement, guys, the only biblical requirement is that when you come together. Look at verse 18 with your Bible. It says in verse 18, when you come together. In the first place, I hear that when you come together. Verse 20, when you come together. The Lord's Supper is when we come together, okay? So when we do that, that's what it says. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, and there it is, when you come together. Look, should you be performing the Lord's Supper in your house by yourself? The answer is probably not. Should you be partaking of the Lord's Supper Outside the local church, the answer is probably not. There are good Christians who debate this, but friends, I think the, the, the onus of Scripture says that the Lord's Supper is when the most people are gathered together in the local church is when you partake of the Lord's Supper. If you come to me for a wedding and want to do the Lord's Supper privately in your wedding ceremony, I'm not going to do it because it's when we come together. You can start shooting the arrows now because I see it in the eyes, all right? It's all good. We love each other. Give me a hug afterwards. This is not meant, as our brother said during the songs, to be about you. It is about you, sort of, but it's about us. 
And if we are having the Lord's Supper done in this Sunday school class and that Sunday school class and that Sunday school class, we are taking away the benefit of having the body come together. Do you see that? If you disagree on that theological point, you can still give me a hug. We're friends. We're going to heaven, and we're going to be all right, okay? Give, give me the air hug, right? We're doing that right now. Air hug right now. We're okay. But I want you to know that because so many have taken liberty in this area, the Lord's Supper is done everywhere, every place, without the gathering of the body. This, let's take this a step further. This is why living on the internet and getting your faith from preachers or Facebook Live will never suffice. You have to be together. Come together. But Darren, I can have church in my PJs and no one will ever know. Well, amen. But you know what? You show up here in your PJs, we're still going to love you. But you can't love people who are in, in a digital world. Look, we have digital media, and some of you know our media reaches across the world. We get prayer requests, sincere prayer requests coming from around the world, and people saying, hey, we heard this sermon, we got this, we got this. Praise God for that. But the local church is the place for the Lord's Supper is where we are to have it as we come together. You may be sick, you may be traveling, you may be fill-in-the-blank, but this is the purpose of it, is to come together. Well, what about Pastor Nelson on the, on the, uh, out in Kuwait and all these things? You know what? That's a whole different circumstance because he's out in a war zone taking care of Christians out in the war zone. There's an unusual circumstance. But if you're able to come, you come together with the Lord's Supper. You can shoot the arrows while I walk up, all right? And I'm just going to keep on walking. My shield is here. I got, I got my be strong in the Lord thing up here, all right? It's about the corporate body individual Christians, you are not a Lone Ranger Christian. It's about you and the body of Christ coming together. It always has been. So where should we have the Lord's Supper? The only biblical requirement is that it's in the gathering of the church. Number three, you ready for this? So not only who should participate, believers, not unbelievers, where should we have it? It should be in local church primarily. And third, when should we have the Lord's Supper? Every deacon has their eyes up here. You know, when I first came, we were doing the Lord's Supper, I think, just about three to four times a year at business meetings in the evening when most people were not gathered. We experimented for a while, and we've gotten it on rotation. You probably noticed that. In January, we do the first Sunday, February the second Sunday, March the third, because we want to rotate it so our nursery workers can come in. But do you see anywhere in here where Paul tells you exactly how many times to have it? Now, I am just curious. How many of y'all grew up with weekly Lord's Supper, just out of curiosity? few hands. How many of y'all grew up with, say, monthly, kind of like we do now? That's most. How many of y'all grew up doing it maybe uh, quarterly or even half a year? That is about what is right. So isn't it interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting if we only did a sermon every quarter? Some of y'all would love that, amen? Wouldn't it be interesting? Paul doesn't tell us here. He doesn't say, and you are to do it at these intervals at these times. But verse 25, you open your Bible back, in verse 25, he tells you uh, in, in the same way, he, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is my cup in the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and remember to me, in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread. Some translations say whenever you drink it, or whenever you eat it. There are other translations who say as often as you drink it, or as often as you eat it. And I think that's the often is usually more original to the text. But the picture here is of something the New Testament believers did a lot, regularly, right? 
The only command is that we observe the Lord's Supper often. Does that make sense? It doesn't say every week. It doesn't say every month. It doesn't say every quarter. It just says regularly. So we observe it often. We observe it all the time. This is a regular practice of the New Testament. Now, some people in this room, again, you came from backgrounds where you did it weekly. Well, what about weekly? Should we do it weekly? Is there a basis for that? Yes. Taylor read it. I read Acts 20. The Lord's Supper, you may say, needs to be done weekly. Well, you know what? That's great. We may do that someday. But there's one thing about it is that Scripture doesn't mandate weekly. It just says as often as you come. So we have settled here doing it monthly. Next month, we'll do it. It kind of lands kind of cool this year. We're going to do the Lord's Supper the Sunday before Christmas. That's a unique thing this year. Kind of a fun thing. But what if we, but, but some people say, well, if we do it every week, won't it become routine? If we do it every month, won't it become routine? I mean, kind of lose sense of being special? And you know, that's a valid question. And there's always danger of routines in churches, aren't there? But if we were to use that rationale, we might only sing once a month because, you know, after a while, even singing can get a little bored at times. Sorry, brother. <laughs> or what if we only had a sermon quarterly? Or what if you came to church once a year because, yeah, church is church and I don't feel like going. I mean, think about the rationale. Guys, this is the Lord's Supper. God gave us baptism and the Lord's Supper to, to be celebratory for us. So, you don't have to amen the sermon thing, by the way, but Scripture doesn't say how often. It just says to do it. And friends, I take full responsibility for the fact that we have not been intentional about teaching you about this, because this is something that we need to observe, and, and, and we, we'd be out of line if Scripture didn't teach it. So we settled on, on monthly, because we want you to keep that. Our deacons are, are, are very faithful to do it every month, and thank you, deacons, for serving us every month, the Lord's Supper. Amen? They do a great job of that. Steve, Jim, and, 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 um, Steve, Jim, and John. But this is what New Testament worship is about. How often? It doesn't say. So then it begs the fourth question. Not who should take it. That's believers. Where? That's in the local church. When? It's as often as we get together. But, but more regular, the better. But Fourthly, how should we observe it? How should we observe it? This is really what it comes down to. How should we observe it? Well, uh, this, takes, this is extremely important, but a common misunderstanding, Amy will go ahead and put this up. A common misunderstanding is that in the Lord's Supper, there's a change of substance that results in salvation. We're going to go a little more theological here. A little less practical, it's all tied up. Guys, and as I say this, I want you to, everyone look up here. Please hear me clearly. I am not trying to bash anyone. I'm not trying to say, I just want to teach you the Word of God, okay? I'm going to use words. I'm going to name churches that teach differently than we do. But I think as your pastor, to not do this is to lead you in more spiritual danger than if I just left it blank. Do you understand that? It's kind of like telling your kid when you know there's something that's going to happen, what's going to happen if they keep going down that road? Some of you say, well, Darren, we don't believe this stuff. No, but you need to understand what is out there so you know what you have. Does that make sense? So I'm going to name some things. I'm going to list some things. I have no hate in my heart. I'm talking to you just like I would if I was sitting down with you, okay? And you're going to walk out, some of you, and say, well, Darren hates such and such. Not at all. But as your pastor, you have to know right from wrong. You have to know truth from error. I hope you see that difference. 
There is a big theological word out there. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to say it. That is called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Many of you know what this is. It's the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church at the Eucharist, the Mass, where the bread and wine actually become the blood and body of Christ. This is one of the primary reasons for centuries that the church did not allow anyone but the priests to give out the elements because by spilling the, the wine, the belief is, is that you literally are spilling the blood of Jesus all over the floor. That changed in 1960s with Vatican II to give you some history, but the whole picture of the body and blood of Christ being present in the Lord's Supper brings up some pretty high stakes. Because if Christ is actually present in the elements, then to receive communion is literally to drink Christ and literally to eat Christ. I want to quote from the Catholic Catechism on this. It's not on the screen. I'm just quoting it. I'll go slow. But here's what it says, quote, To receive communion is to receive Christ himself, who also offered himself for us. Communion with the body and blood of Christ increases our union with the Lord, forgives his venial sins, and preserves him from grave sins. Did you catch that? The key phrase is that forgives his sins. The argument is, is that when you take the meal, receive Christ, you obtain forgiveness. One more quote from the Catholic Catechism, quote, as sacrificed, the Eucharist is offered in reparation for the sins of the living and the dead to obtain spiritual or temporal benefits from God, end quote. The reason I quote these is to make clear this is much more than a theological quibble over who's right and who's wrong. It is eternal, guys. How you view the Lord's Supper, much like the gospel, much like baptism, is a key understanding of the gospel itself. If the Lord's Supper, or baptism for that matter, is a means by which you receive Christ to get salvation, then you're fundamentally altering the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by anything we do. Do you believe that? We are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, which means there's much at stake in whether or not someone believes that when you partake of these elements in front of me, they actually become Jesus' blood or they actually become his body. And a traditional misunderstanding sees the Lord's Supper as a change of substance, that it goes from wine or grape juice to actual blood, from bread, unleavened as it is, to actual flesh that you partake of. But a biblical understanding is that it is a symbolic meal that reflects my salvation. When Jesus says, as we quoted here, this is my body, the verb he used there means to represent. It doesn't mean literal. Jesus literally, and I'm not trying to be facetious, but I need to make this point clear. Jesus is not asking you to gnaw on his flesh to get forgiveness of sins. Friends, that happened once for all on the cross, he said, it is done, it is finished, there is no more need for anything else except him and him alone. Let that be clear. When he said this to his disciples, his body was still in front of him. I want you to think about that picture for a second. I'm going to do my Clint Eastwood 2012 Republican National Convention thing right here. If you don't know what that is, go YouTube it. <laughs> Jesus is sitting right here. Okay? He's talking to his disciples. When he says, take eat, this is my body, Peter wasn't the first one up there to say, hey, let me grab the left 
the left elbow. And John didn't say, give me the right finger. They understood what that meant. They understood it was symbolic in nature. So how did we get from one to the other? I'm not going to chase that rabbit today. But you need to know this is symbolic in nature. Now, do you get blessings from this? Yes, this is a means of grace. Not grace to save you, but the spiritual blessings that come from coming together as Christ said to come together. There's a huge difference there. Let me reiterate. All eyes up here, please. I feel like a professor at times. We are not bashing our Catholic friends. But friends, you have to understand if this is part of the gospel, if by partaking this you receive forgiveness of sins, then why did Jesus have to die on that cross? Why did he say it is finished? Why did the gospel writer, uh, Brother Ray and I were talking about this, who wrote the gospel of, uh, or who wrote the book of Hebrews, or the author of Hebrews said, you know, the once and for all. Why did he say it's done if it wasn't done? Either it's done or it's not. Either we are in or we are out. There can't be anything else. I hope that makes sense. I say this with all love in my heart. I say this not as one who's trying to make get a YouTube clip. I say this because you need to know this. But Darren, we've grown up in the Baptist church. Yes, but when friends ask you, why do you partake of it this way? You need to know how to respond to that. This is it. Clear as mud? All right. Last point is this. Number five, how, why should we celebrate? This is more to the text. Why should we celebrate? And I will go through these quickly. Not only who should believers, where, the church, when, as often as we can, how we do that, uh, uh, believing it's a memorial or a symbolic action with some blessing that comes through it. But first off, we remember the body and blood of Jesus. Remember the body and blood of Jesus. Amy will put that first one up there. At the core, the Lord's Supper is about remembrance, guys. 1 Corinthians, and you can turn back to your text if you got it. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember his body given for us. We remember the price Jesus paid for us. Lord's Supper is not just about imagining in our minds. He actually did it. It's deliberately directing our minds 2,000 years ago back to a place on Calvary's Hill where he died actually for us. And it's about remembering the past. And Lord's Supper, our minds are directed towards that cross. The second thing we do, and you see this in verses 27 to 32, is we reflect. We reflect on our sin and God's forgiveness. Verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty. But verse 28, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You are to come humbly to the Lord's Supper as you reflect on your need for Christ and examine yourself, lay your, your thoughts, your heart, your, your family. I mean, isn't it hard uh, if you've had a fight with your spouse or a fight with your, your kid or your fight with somebody to come to the Lord's Supper and pretend that everything's okay? Examine yourself. But let me be clear here. Let me be super clear here. Let's be very practical with this. Some of y'all will come and examine yourself each month, and you're like, man, whew, I had a great week for Jesus. <laughs> I shared the gospel. I was at Wednesday night. I served on the side. Uh, I mean, I gave out tracts to people. I feel like super Christian Jesus guy. I am worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Some of y'all are going to come. Maybe y'all do this a lot. You come to the Lord's Supper, and you know what your week honestly has been like, and you know that your, your, your life and your faith is not informed who you are as it should, and you come and you feel unworthy to take it. Who's right? They're both wrong. Do you know why? 
Because only Jesus Christ is worthy enough to call you worthy to take the Lord's Supper. If you had the best week as a Christian or the worst week as a Christian, your focus isn't on your problems, yourself, your successes. Your focus is on Him and His forgiveness amidst your sin. Do you see that? Some of you all will not take the Lord's Supper because you had a subpar spiritual week. Some of you will take the Lord's Supper because you, like, got holes in one on every golf course you went on, spiritually speaking, and you're, you're, you're putting Tiger Woods to shame for how well you're playing golf. Friends, we take the Lord's Supper only because He's worthy. Now, if you're here today, and I say this often, if you're here today and you have a beef with someone else in this church, you should not take the Lord's Supper. You need to write that wrong. Matthew 5 says you go and you settle that account with a brother or sister or multiple people. And some of you have been taking the Lord's Supper without settling these things. And you need to write that wrong. So remember, he says to reflect, examine yourself. Look, let, let me just say it this way. As you examine yourself, it is okay to go before the Lord with your honesty, with your sin. You should. The Lord knows it all. You can tell him all. But it should not be to a place where you beat yourself up so much spiritually that you deny or you take away the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a second. Number three, not only do we do these things, but it also tells us that we renew our commitment to Christ. We renew our commitment to Christ. This is a time where we come together to say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't have a lot, but this I have. I have my faith in you. And you see that uh, pretty much, I mean, it's all over the place, but verse 29, for anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many who are weak and ill have died, but we have judged ourselves truly. We have not been judged. Lord, I come before you and I renew my commitment to you because I know you're able to take body, life, and soul away from everyone. Therefore, I commit this time to you. We renew our focus. We don't take the Lord's Supper to earn salvation. I hope that's clear. But when we do, we renew our lives to the God who can take life and death and all things. Yes, I belong to Jesus. And yes, I want to make much of him. And people who are thinking if they just ate the bread and drank the cup that people would be pleased with them, have missed the point. It's not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing the Lord. And when you come to this, when you come to the Lord's table, you're reminding yourself of what he told you to do. Go, therefore, into all the nations and make disciples of all people. You're renewing your commitment to Christ every time you come before the Lord's table. So there's a proclamation. And, I mean, isn't that what 1 Corinthians 11.26 said? We proclaim his death until he comes. That's what you do. When you come to the Lord's table, it's a reminder that this world is not your own. Look, side note, my wife and I have been watching the Left Behind series movies. Ooh. Some of y'all, that dates you 20 years, right? Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins. I don't agree with most of the theology, quite frankly. But the movies really arrest your attention. Because it's about a time and a place where people are going to go crazy against Christians at the end of the world. And it really refocuses you. It really arrests your attention. And friends, that's what the Lord's Supper should do. Am I really living for Jesus? Am I really committed to the mission? Or am I just mouth-lipping it to make others think I'm super spiritual when I'm really not? Last thing is this. Not only do you renew it, but you rejoice because Jesus has set you free. Amen? He has set you free. 
Jesus said back in Luke twenty two eighteen, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the, the kingdom of God comes. In the Lord's Supper, we're not just looking back, we're looking forward, that Jesus is coming back, and he is. He's going to be here. It's huge. We're looking forward to the day when we return, and we don't have to do this. We're with him. He becomes, so to speak, the Lord's Supper. And if you're suffering in this congregation today, can I just encourage you amid your hurts and struggles, the sorrow and pain that you're walking through, the challenges at the Lord's Supper is a reminder to you that one day all that junk is going to go out the door. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, and he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to cross every T. He's going to do it because that's what he said, and the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. We remember the challenges of this world, but we have reason to rejoice. Christ is the victor. And I would say if, if that, if, if in your mind and heart you're gathered today and you have lost the motivation to keep going, may what we're going to do in about five minutes remind you of that. Guys, I hope this has been helpful to you. Who should partake of the Lord's Supper? Only Christians. When should we partake of the Lord's Supper? As often as we can. Where should we do it? Primarily in the local church. How should we observe it? As a memorial, as a symbolic act. And why should we celebrate it? Because Jesus is the bomb, he's awesome, and he's got it all taken care of. Amen? Let's bow our heads together as we prepare ourselves. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And uh, worship team, just a reminder, after we sing our song, we'll have you be seated. But we'll ask the deacons to come up. But let me pray for us as we respond. Again, if you're not a Christian here today, we just want to encourage you so much. Thank you for being here. We're so grateful you're here. We pray that you have felt a sense of the community that God is growing here at Tower.